Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. At Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we're celebrating all month long with Bird Dogs for Habitat. It's our annual Bird Dog Breed Popularity Contest. So today's episode is bird dog themed, as you might expect. Um, But I do want to remind you to go to birddogsforhabitat.org. Every dollar we raise helps us create more habitat for places where your bird dogs love to roam. And as a reminder, last year with uh, our partners at Orvis, Sport Dog Brand e-collars, Purina Pro Plan Dog Food, Rufflin Kennels, NAVDA, North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, Project Upland, and the Flush Television Show on Outdoor Channel, we were able to generate more than $75,000 for our wildlife habitat mission just through the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. So we're we're back at it again this year, raising money, uh, all in the name of Bird Dogs. So, so get on to the website, birddogsforhabitat.org. Check out the leaderboard and see where you want to allocate your dollars. And maybe it's time to renew your Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever membership. We got a killer offer that includes an Orvis dog collar. Um, so it's a really good cause and it's a fun competition. And I invite you to check it out. Today's episode also is being brought to you specifically by the official e-collar of pheasants forever and quail forever one of our longest running partners uh national partner in conservation sport dog brand electronic dog training systems it's the collar that i run on on my pups you'll see uh the image that's used to promote this episode i've got the sport dog tech 2.0 gps collar on gitchy it's a it's a terrific collar particularly if you're uh got a big running pointer and you want to keep track of that dog and gps so thank you to sport dog for being the sponsor of this episode and the national sponsor of pheasants forever and quail forever today's episode is a little bit about gitchy um that's my youngest short hair it's a lot about mike weeben who's a head pro trainer at dockins oak ridge kennels in northfield minnesota Tom Dockin, Tina Dockin have been on this podcast multiple, multiple times. Um, we we changed it up a little bit. We got uh, Mike here today. I just got done running Gitchy for Mike, and, and Gitchy is staying with Mike for yeah. a little while. But before we get to Gitchy, Mike, um, uh, thank you very much for making time today. I'm, I'm basically taking up your entire afternoon. No but, problem. Uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, like your background to, yeah, to our well, listeners. You know, I, I go back over 20 years here. I had an opportunity to start training for Tom Dockin and, you know, came as a young local farm kid with love of animals and outdoors and hunting and, uh, you know, really had a position here where I was able to come to the facility unknowingly knowing nothing about dog training and really having uh, – 
a facility that has, let's say, going to college mm-hmm. to learn how to train dogs and taking through many steps of the process. And one thing I found over all my years is the more dogs you train, the more you pick up on this information. Or as Tom always referenced to, the more tools we have in our toolbox mm-hmm. to train these dogs. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely a local kid. Um, got the bug over here. And Wait, what age did you come over I was here? just out of high school, so I was about oh, 20 when okay. I started. Yeah, so young and, and you know. This direction really kept me on focused, huh. having a purpose, yeah. um, and it really changed me forever. Hmm. Um, when I grew up, our hunting dogs didn't have any control, didn't know what they were doing, um, didn't know training like this even exists. And I remember, I, I, I've spoke about this in the past, is I sat there at that top of the hill and watched a black lab make just the most amazing duck retrieve out of the water. And at that young age, I was really into duck hunting mm. and never had a dog that could perform like that. And I, I, I was starstruck. I, I just, how do I get myself involved in this? And the journey has been great. Uh, Tom and Tina have been great allies for, for me um, uh-huh. and bringing this career to the point where, um, you know, I'm able to oversee a lot more things here now. And that brings us to us here in our, our, our day yeah. kind of started at Pheasant Fest yep. Uh, yep. And, and just a great opportunity where all of us in this world get a chance to get together and, and talk dogs. And you brought up the, that you had a dog that you were having a few concerns about. Mm-hmm. And uh, we definitely want to cover those things here today. And, and what we recommended unknowingly not ever seeing the dog, mm-hmm. the best thing for us is to have you bring this dog in so we can evaluate what good things you have going and maybe some concerns you might have. And kind of the process for us today was starting off by just sitting down and kind of hearing what you had, your journey's been with the mm-hmm. dog. You know, where'd you start at a young age? How many birds has this dog had under his belt? Has it been gun broken properly? Mm-hmm. And then really with your dog being a little uh, two and a half, mm-hmm. you know, you've already had a chance to go through those things. Yeah. And now we're, it's it, it really felt like there was some things that we just would say, hey, they're not finished yet. Mm-hmm. And so what we did today is spend some time looking through multiple different things with your dog, starting with just basic control. You mm-hmm. know, do you have obedience? Uh, how birdie the dog was? Uh, you know, putting the dog in a position that we were really doing a real mock hunt here today mm-hmm. uh, so we could see that dog in action. Uh, very impressed on the, the energetic the bird drive gun was good with the dog, um, but we definitely found a few things that we're looking here to spend some time. <laughs> and, and you mentioned this was new for you, yeah. Uh, dropping a dog off and leaving yeah. a dog with a trainer, yeah. Um, that can be a hard, hard swallow <laughs> for is. some people to leave yeah. their dog with somebody um, and trust that that care is going to be. But when I, I think some people get to the point where they know their dog has more potential, mm-hmm. they see it every day they maybe don't just know how to get that dog to that next level. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, you go, you're, you, you can obviously see or tell how passionate you are about dogs. You spend about three minutes talking about yourself and you immediately transition to the dog, which is cool. I, I, I want to stop you and ask when you started here as a 20 year old, was your career trajectory to be a, a pro dog trainer? Absolutely not. I was a family farmhand, so that was a huh. non-paid gig. Uh-huh. And then I actually was a small engine mechanic, worked at like a Polaris dealer, huh. worked on And I thought that's what I wanted to do since I had some mechanical you know, background being on a farm. Mm-hmm. Thought that was something I wanted to do. I didn't know that there was the world of dog training that I do know today. Uh, and 
I would have swore up and down I was going to do that forever <laughs> yeah. until I came about here. It, 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 was it that Labs Retrieve that changed it for yeah, you? Yeah, I had really seen that dog. It was steady in a boat, huh. didn't make any noise, huh. waited till the birds got shot, dove in the water with all the confidence in the world, picked up those birds. And the big thing that we're going to get in today is delivered it to hand, handed that duck to that trainer. Yeah. And I, I, I always say I was literally blown away that day. I could not believe dogs were able to bring to that. And it was probably, you know, I, I'm a local boy. I, I'm within 20 minutes of this facility. Mm-hmm. My whole childhood, I did not know that this, this was gem right was right here yeah. in my backyard. One of the world's foremost dog trainers, Tom Dockin, it was right is there. in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And here you are working for him. I, you know, one thing that I, my impression, the best dog trainers in in I can see this in you automatically is you have really calm, mild-mannered demeanor. Is that something that you've always had? When you started here as a 20-year-old, were you mild-mannered, like kind of observant, or did you have to kind of learn to be a dog trainer? I would say I was the quiet one. Hmm. I was the setback one, hmm. which has actually been a good network for what I'm doing here because, mm-hmm. you know, dogs, we, we learn that raising our voice or getting mm-hmm. frustrated isn't going to get you anywhere yeah. being patient taking the time to watch what that dog's doing and trying to evaluate its strengths and its weaknesses mm-hmm. and you know then it's all about when a dog comes in finding a game plan to work out those bugs and you know every dog no matter what breed you bring to us we i always say sometimes it's a custom car build mm-hmm. we have the same goals for lots of the pointers the labs and all the other breeds that we love to train and it's really the goals the same but how we get each student to that level um really changes dog to dog right and it, it makes me think okay so sport dog the sponsor of this particular episode one of the one of the mistakes trainers can make the do-at-home trainer right mm-hmm. is they rely on the e-collar to be the teaching tool rather than the reinforcing tool. Yeah, yeah, and I would say for us, it always goes back to using the check cord Mm -hmm. and the six-foot leash. And that check cord for a pointer could be up to 100 feet long Mm -hmm. down to 30 feet. And that's one big step that we have a lot of conversations. We see dogs, we like to get them at five months of age for a two-week burden gun. So Mm -hmm. there's two reasons. Number one, we want to make sure we're introducing the dog to live birds and guns properly in a no pressure or no obedience setting. But then what that really gets us to do is not only show off, hey, your dog's gun broke, mm-hmm. you're good to go, but the sit down after that demonstration. Because now the what's next kicks mm-hmm. in. And everybody's going right there. Well, can I start with the collar? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to have you use that check cord for right now. And, and the real reason there is a lot of people would maybe start using that collar to maybe fix a few problems they're having. But what can happen sometimes is that collar can be then applied as more of a deterrent to stop doing something, stop going over there. And our real game plan with a remote collar is communication. Hmm. We want to take that long lead, that six-foot lead, and turn it from that rope to the electronics. And I think that's the part that's missing. Everybody thinks that's the solution and it is if mm-hmm. it's done properly mm-hmm. and that's one thing we ask all our customers no electric fence no e-collar especially with a really young dog because just like gun breaking you might only get one chance of it and mm-hmm. if you put a kind of a negative impression on that dog with the e-collar 
you know, now that device has been put in the bad category or negativity. Right. I want your dog excited about putting that collar on, knowing it's about to go do an activity, <laughs> have fun, go yep. hunting. Yep. But at the same time, there's this communication that we have that uh, we've seen your dog today, just a little tone. Yep. And that dog immediately knew that you were looking for a request out of her. And, and that is where we want that collar to be. Now, if a safety, a road, mm-hmm. stopping and chasing a deer, okay, there might be a time in a safety situation that we actually have to bring this up to a correction. Mm-hmm. But it's unfortunate when dogs sometimes have that pushed upon them a little too early. Mm-hmm. When we have a whole list of things that we want to use as communication, um, from basic obedience, uh, retrieving training, mm-hmm. and sometimes if that's got a negative impression on it, it, it leaves us very in a tight spot or a hard spot to try to use that as positive reinforcement. And even, you know, I'll throw out the advantages of having the GPS component Absolutely. as a hunter, mm-hmm. particularly with a pointing dog. Absolutely. Right? Especially if you're going bigger, tall grass, uh, the grouse woods, and you want your dog to be working out from you, and they go on point, and... You know, if you run the bell, I still don't know how they did it in the old days, right? <laughs> right. Dog goes up point 200 yards away. It's like, where is yeah. it? Dog's up point somewhere. I just mm-hmm. can't find it. And the GPS collar allows you to find without yelling and hooting and hollering. And also, you watch the cookies where the dog is hunted, mm-hmm. where you've hunted, so you can find your truck again. Absolutely. I mean, I just, I I almost never use a GPS, I'm sorry, an e-collar without a GPS component now. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing for that pointing breed is you don't know where the dog is. Mm-hmm. The dog's doing exactly what it's supposed to right on, on point, yep. and that person potentially was thinking the dog went too far, and mm-hmm. now that dog was getting corrected for checking in, yep. and it's actually locked up 35 right. yards right in front of you doing exactly what you taught it or to do. Or even I've watched on my... On, tech uh the tech 2.0 screen where you wing a bird right and the the bird's gone and the dog's gone and, and i'm watching on the screen dogs going away do, going away going away and i'm like oh, do i do i send a toner do i get her back and then slowly you know the icons coming back coming back coming back and he comes to the top of the hill and he's got a bird in the mouth right absolutely like, but it, that wondering of what's happening I know if I didn't see it on the screen, I'd be freaking out that that dog would disappear. But because I see the icon on the screen, like she's pointing, she's moving again. She's pointing. Oh, here she comes back. Here she's coming back. She's she's on her way. Then you get to the top of the hill and you see her face. Like, oh, and the angels sing and the sun shines down and there's hardly anything better. Yeah, and that new technology has, you know, changed everything forever. Um, You know, we're even seeing guys from the pointers to, you know, the guys that are running shed antler dogs. And I know I talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about that, some seminars about that at at Pheasant Fest. And, And it really allows you to let your dog range in those environments with like pointing dogs where you don't need them super close, but have the confidence that you know where they are. And I, I think you touched on the woods. Yeah. I see a lot of guys that do a lot of the, of the grouse, woodcock. I mean, that that's changed things in that heavy cover. Mm-hmm. It's taken that stress away of, hey, where's my dog? Well, I, I can just look right down. I, I'm, yeah. I'm comfortable. Or even, you know, I know obviously this is pheasants and quail podcast, but even in hunting kosher in Nebraska, hunting cattail, in North Dakota, hunting, you know, some of those sunflower patches for quail, you know, the GPS collar 
is a tool that you maybe didn't know you needed and you'll make yeah make you feel so much more comfortable yeah, with, especially a young dog when people make the investment and then once they i think the big thing is using one or being mm-hmm. around somebody that's used one and that kind of changes the game then right. it's like okay I want that. That that puts me in a good position here. Right. All right. We'll change it to you were taking me down the road of why I'm here. Right. Um, I've got two and a half year old Gitchy, my my younger of the two short hairs, who I'm in love with, as most bird dog Absolutely. owners are. Yeah. Um, and I have rose colored glasses. Right. Like most bird dog mm-hmm. owners are. I think she's a wonderful dog, but there are a few things that um, I'd like to. Uh, better and you know in my mind she's still real real young and as a trainer like two and a half starting to get beyond where it's easy um so that relates back to the five-month-old burden gun introduction Mm -hmm. folks that are listening that are frequent listeners of fan outdoors on kfam no, Billy Hildebrand's dogs Absolutely, have been yep. here multiple times, and he just r- raves positively about the b- bird and gun introduction program um, at five months and how important that is, right? And then there's this distance here, and you, you were bringing us to what's next. Yeah. And the time frame for what what's next is, you know, we're re- recording this in April, and there's a lot of new pups. Mm-hmm. So... When's the time that a so bird and gun introduction like that piece of it should happen in the five to six month range? Then what what should they be worrying about that I didn't do at the right age with with Gitch? Um, well, let's back add one more thing to the bird and sure. gun, and that is making sure that the dog has been introduced to no guns mm-hmm. prior to coming in, and then maybe make sure the dog has some feathers in its mouth sure. before it goes to start camp. Um, you know, then the next step would be talking about um, shooting more birds, throwing more retrieves. In your case, working on s- potentially with some dogs, some wing on a pole if that's necessary for some dogs to help their point. Um, but then the next level would really start at around eight months of age. Now, we mentioned that, you know, her's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we see dogs at all ages. They come in. We just have these target timelines sure. that if, if we can get ahead of a little bit, and, and sometimes it's just maybe getting the owner in and exposing them to what's next, what to be doing, maybe things that they haven't thought of or maybe haven't applied to their last dog. Um, and it really helps us that when we get that student back for further training, that owner maybe hasn't done anything to complete anything, but they've gave that dog just a little edge to kickstart sure. training a little quicker. And, you know, for full, obviously a sh- Gitch has been hunting for, it's not like she's been sitting on the couch, Yeah, absolutely. She's collar conditioned. She's been hunting. Um, At one point, I had her steady to wing shot and and release. We're not there at this moment. Right, right. So so I'm heading there next. But one thing, and I I talked about this with you as as we started today, Um, I think general public, we're all intimidated about two things, Um, intimidated about bringing um, our dog, our pride and joy to a pro dog trainer and kind of exposing all of our errors and mistakes and something that, again, we have rose colored glasses about our dogs. So there's an intimidation factor of like, she's not perfect. Like I need a little help. The other intimidation for us, and, and I've talked about this on the podcast, m- my wife, Meredith and I have never been able to have kids and our dogs 
are anthropomorphized to it. They're our children, yeah. right? And and potentially, you know, bring in a dog in for training, then she's going to be here for a couple months. Mm-hmm is a lifestyle change and that's intimidating too. So what do you tell people when, when they talk about those intimidation factors? How do you make them comfortable? Cause your demeanor, it was the first thing that um, makes me comfortable and that's more for the people as much as it is for the dog. But that's one thing, right? Yeah. I, I would say going back to that two week bird and gun, you know, that's a chance to have a short stay. Mm. We've, in, in two weeks, has that dog gun broke on live birds. That owner comes, number one, sees how well and fun and excited their young child is. Mm-hmm. That loosens things up. So that's why that first one's kind of a short stay. Yep. That does kind of help break the ice. But even those customers, when they come in, they're they're thinking the same thing you are. Like, how, how am I doing this? How mm-hmm. am I leaving my child? Um, you know, but it's it's comes down to a lot of people realize they don't have the tools or the area or the land to Mm. maybe do these things so that's probably what gets them in the door Mm -hmm. and then a short stay with results after just a couple weeks Mm -hmm. that's what really changes things when when a dog comes for the next level Mm. they've already been there you've kind of got that sense of, of of calmness of okay the dog's in good hands but, you know, going back to your question of, you know, trying to getting them comfortable is, is saying, hey, I, I need a few months here to finish this dog to give you mm-hmm. the rest of the lifetime of these goals that you want. Right. And we find a dog that's trained is, is more happy, has more freedom, mm-hmm. and an owner is going to do a lot more with that dog. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that is one of the, I would say the owner part of it is kind of one of the most difficult parts is to try to convince them that, hey, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And what we do here to kind of help solidify that is we, we have the dogs come in, especially if they're here for a little longer stays. We'll have the owners then, as we get about halfway to three-quarters of the way through, we'll have them pop in for a visit, okay. see the progress, see their dog. Realizing the dog ain't quite finished yet, but enough for that owner can go, okay, yep, get you still happy, mm-hmm. but also we want to show you some improvement. Mm-hmm. And, and that tends to be that next part that kind of helps them go, okay, yeah, I made the right choice right. here. Let's get it to the finish line. I would say, like you mentioned, Billy, word of mouth, somebody mm-hmm. that's had a good experience, mm-hmm. those have always been our allies to, mm-hmm. hey, I did this, it was great for me. You're in good hands down there. Right. So between those things, but we do see a lot of customers come in that they're they're wondering what are we about to do here when yeah. they drop the dog <laughs> off. So what we do on a typical drop off, kind of like what we did today, mm-hmm. it's not just here. Thanks for your dog. Mm-hmm. We'll call you with some updates. It's let's talk about your dog. Yep. And that bird and gun program, we take the dog out with the owner, let it run around out in our facility. Mm-hmm. We're gonna put it in a position and take a fresh dead bird. See if we can get some retrieve going. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a big difference to owners go, okay, my dog's comfortable with this person, this environment. And I, we find that just taking the dog, that's more of a harder impact. Dog's fine. Yeah. Dogs, you know, dogs are social. They, <laughs> He's they going want, to summer camp. Yeah, going to summer camp. <laughs> but that owner not just taking that dog and giving them some time to kind of hand that dog off. And, yeah. and kind of like we did today, we sat down and we asked a lot of questions. Yeah. Going back from the beginning of Gitchy as a puppy, mm-hmm. you know, what's been done up to this point. And, and we find that sitting down and being that thorough with customers, it really helps them go, okay, like you mentioned, like this guy really wants to know a lot about this dog. Mm-hmm. He really seems to care about the needs of my dog. So do most people, so I, I came in with three very specific things that I'm trying to work on with your help. Yeah. <laughs> do most people come in with very specific things or is it like, ah, oh, I just, 
I want a better bird dog. Yeah, I would say it, there's a little bit of both, but mm. I would say we've kind of done a good job to promote when we want the dog to come in. So a lot of times, you know, maybe even the comment, there's there's not a lot done with the puppy, mm-hmm. you know, and then maybe there's not a lot done between the next program. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of those things that the more we can kind of talk about things with them, mm-hmm. it, it's, it tends to change their outlook on what we should be doing on our end. But sitting down, getting that information, and then at the end of the day, sometimes like when bird and gun, we just need to do our process. Sure. And it's something you can't fast track. It has to be done on a regiment basis every day. Yep. Okay, now we have something we can sit down and, and show you. And, th- mm-hmm. and that's one important thing we do too is when the dog does like an introduction course, we do a live demonstration for that owner. Mm-hmm. We want them to see what's going on, where we're at with the dog. So if we're going to ask them to continue help us before the next level, mm. it's not just here's your dog. Right. This is exactly where we're at, and these are the areas that we'd like a little bit more help if we can get some yeah. between now and the next program. All right, so we sat down. It's probably an hour and a half ago now, yeah. right? We sat down in the office, and three things that I wanted. And I'll talk about the three things that I'm looking for and kind of where my scale was on my perspective on where Gitchy was. And then we went into the field and you kind of took a look at me handling Gitchy and we'll get your perspective on how she performed relative to those ratings, mm-hmm. let's say. So first thing, number one, that I'm, I'm looking for help with Gitchy is um, when she's hunting with other dogs in the field, um, as a retriever, She's okay when there's other dogs creating competition, right? She'll bird gets knocked down. She's a she's an athlete. She's got long legs and she can move and she can beat a lot of different breeds to the birds. And she likes playing that game. She'll get the bird and she'll bring it back to me. She's a little hard mouth, but she'll bring it back to me. When I'm hunting alone, um, and that is even. Um, accelerated when she's hunting with my own other dogs, right? Because that competition's even Absolutely. more intense. But when we're hunting alone and I drop a bird, getting her to bring the bird back to me doesn't happen very easily. She tends to mouth it, stand on top of it. She'll find it. She'll race down a cripple. But getting it to come back to me uh, is not always very consistent. And I think I rated that in the six yeah. range, six out of ten. So one being terrible, ten being exactly where I want it I'd give her a six other thing so the second thing that I wanted you to look at was um her point right she's a year ago with um, help of a really really good friend John Zeman he had her at steady to to wing steady to shot steady to release so the entire way through the process and over the course of the hunting season whether that's crippled birds or you know Boston birds that's deteriorated now I I rated that I think seven and a half eight somewhere in there um but I know where she was or where she could be versus where she is now and then the third thing was a bit of a wild card or maybe not but uh the third thing that I'm looking for help with is um taking Gitch on a canoe trip into the Boundary Waters with Meat Eater later this year that um, Gitchy or any dog I've ever had, I can't bring them into the water into a fishing vessel, especially if I'm going to fish because they want to retrieve every Every lure. lure, Treble hooks and bird dogs don't mix. Do not mix. So I don't want to have my pup 
tip over a canoe, you know, five miles from the nearest road, mm-hmm. let alone any, you know, and who knows what the temperature should be. So my thought is, you know, the, teaching her place might be the way to go there. And right now, right now, Gitch is a zero on, on knowing her place. So those are the three things. And we really didn't assess place, but we did assess the other two. We, um, You brought some pigeons for a first round, pheasants for a second round, and I handled Gitch. You walked in front as the hunter. I sort of was the guide. guide. in a sense, yep. Um, so explain what you saw in in sort of how you would rate where Gitch is today. Well, we, we, we went out and we kind of started the first one. We're like, hey, let's just let her go. Let's mm-hmm. let her do what she wants to do without any influence on, on dad. Um, and what we've seen right out of the gate, we'll talk about the point since that was one of the first things that happened. Uh, we, we definitely seen that dog lock up, smell that bird. Actually, we had a really nice point on that first one. But as I proceeded in to go get her prize, mm. she got a little, we call a rammy, and got a little excited. And rammy. Yeah, wanted to kind of ram in Bust and, in. and yep. beat me to that bird. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes along the lines of your competition on retrieving. Mm-hmm. We're seeing in that sense she was competing me mm-hmm. for that bird. And unfortunately in that moment she did fail. She did try to get that bird before mm-hmm. I could put it up to shoot it for her. So that's going to bring us to a point of talking about how can we control this environment. We talked a little bit about using some bird releasers Mm -hmm. to control the birds. And I think that's probably a lot of where this came from, your wild hunts. birds, Wild birds, we have no control over them. They're not always in the best position to help us train. Mm -hmm. So the regiment here is going to really be controlled environment where the birds can't go anywhere. And we're going to have to teach her some more patience there mm-hmm. uh, because she definitely seen me as a competition factor. Style was there, but at the end of the day, she just couldn't hold. She thought I was going to get her prize. Right. So I, I, I'm led to believe. So in the position I'm at with Pheasants Forever, I hunt with lots of different variety of people and dogs. Right. And a lot of times it's flushers and pointers running together. Mm-hmm. And I can't control that, right? Yep. The situations, whether it's media or volunteers, and and it's wonderful. But my perspective is that's probably creating some challenge. Like my first short hair trammel, she would stand there the days long, and she wasn't wouldn't happy about it, but she wouldn't she wouldn't move. And like Esky, the dog that I have that's a little bit older, she she doesn't like the competition from other dogs, especially flushers that are breaking her point. Mm-hmm. And I see that, like, Esky likes it even less. So, or, I'm sorry, Gitchy, my, my young dog, likes it even less. That's probably part of my problem. Yeah, that's it? probably what you, you probably had that there. Like you mentioned, you had that steady to wing and shot and flush. And those hunts. So, the real solution would be is once you get there, those dogs that – you know, you're going to be exposed to those situations mm-hmm. is going back to your training drills mm-hmm. and, and trying to remind the dog that that was an off day, mm-hmm. but this is how normal days should go. And as that season went on, like you're thinking, it probably kind of started to unravel a little bit. Yeah. She had a good time. Things yeah. went in her favor. <laughs> right. So we probably got birds. So I wasn't super 
irritated with it. Absolutely. So, you know, and that was the thing that was noticeable for me here. So I rated her before we started. Her point, 7.5, somewhere there. It wasn't a 7.5 today. It was was significantly lower. But I mentioned I was, you know, at the end of the day, I wanted to see if she was going to do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. The best thing I could see right away is where our problems are. Because Mm -hmm. as a trainer, you immediately are starting to brainstorm, okay, I'm going to start this drill. I'm going to start this Mm -hmm. routine. Mm-hmm. I want to start manipulating that that that's not the normal anymore. Mm-hmm. And the good thing here is being th- that she is a little older, but she had some training. So oh, there's yeah. a big difference here huh. of getting a two-year-and-a-half-year-old dog that somebody says, I have done nothing with this mm-hmm. dog. Now we got to start all the way back at ground zero. You're in a position here where a lot of stuff has been done. Mm-hmm. And I think we found out today there's just some areas that she's not quite finished on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she was really close to being finished on a few things. And then, like the point we talked about, mm-hmm. just had a chance to kind of back off. And you mentioned she had some success with mm-hmm. that way and some outside influences. So we're just going to want to tighten that stuff back up here. And I think by getting back to a, a regimen of hunting birds in a controlled environment, that's going to bring her back to where you had her there. Mm. I think the second subject that you mentioned with the retrieve, I think that's why uh, that's why our whole conversation at Pheasant Fest started. Is, yep. It yep. really was about the retrieve. And as you probably remember, as you started to talk to Tom and I about the retrieve, our faces kind of went... Well, you were really nervous. Nearly nervous about this because mm-hmm. we run into these things where just... I'll use a lab, for example, because it has retrieve in its name. doesn't mean it's an automatic mm-hmm. retriever. Most dogs need some sort of help to finish or be solid retrievers. There are plenty of breeds out there that you can get them out of the box. They love to carry. They love to bring things to you. And the owner can be put in a really good position where they don't need any more additional training Mm -hmm. to help clean up that retrieve. So what we're going to want to get into today is talking about the solution for your dog. We're going to be talking about the word force fetch. Mm -hmm. Or I like to say it's just basic obedience on the retrieve. And I think that's something that we talked about that Mm -hmm. she hadn't had the chance to go down that road yet. Right. So at this point, we really have no way to force her to change those behaviors that you mentioned, going to the bird. She was doing a couple things out there. We've seen her chewing on the bird. Mm -hmm. We've seen her drop the bird. Mm -hmm. But then we also seen her say, no, this is my bird, that competition. And she did bring it back to me, too. And she did bring it back on one. I actually thought she'd perform better than maybe my rating originally. Now, it's clearly... We still have points to go. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was encouraging. At least I. it feels like, you know, it's not going to be, um, oh, just a monumental task to get her to where we need to go. Yeah, and I think what we've seen today, what, what's relieved me after our little um, mm-hmm. time together is when some breeds have no motivation to even pick the bird up, it's, mm. there's nothing in their DNA saying, I got to have something in my mouth it really can be hard for a trainer to try to create something that doesn't, it's not even there. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. So seeing that your dog picked up the bird, the mouthing part of it, the hard mouth, that's a different thing. That's a hold command. That wasn't as concerning as if the dog had no interest in even touching that bird. Mm-hmm. And then, and like you said, seeing her bring that pheasant to you, mm-hmm. that put me in a position to go, okay, I have something here. Mm-hmm. We just need to straighten out the wiggle lines and we want to, more importantly, like we talked about that hold, her being a little mm-hmm. hard mouth. And we've seen a big difference today from we shot pigeons first 
a little smaller bird, mm-hmm. and we've seen that hard mouth. And I would say, like, if you're doing the quail or some yeah. smaller birds. She'd like to eat the quail. Yeah, those smaller birds. She yeah. would probably be more hard mouth. Mm-hmm. And then we shot that pheasant. Well, that pheasant filled her mouth up a little mm-hmm. bit, and we've seen a lot of less of that hard mouth. So we were kind of talking out there that noting that, that when her mouth was full, it didn't give her as much room to chew. And you talked about, you know, people with dogs looking for training. And that's one of the biggest advices I give to people when you're raising a dog. If if you can fill that mouth up and give less opportunity for the dog mm. to chew on something, you get less chance of that bubblegum chewing okay. mouth. So by, go out and buy the goose deadfall <laughs> trainer. <laughs> like, I can't hardly throw Dawkins deadfall goose, but uh, it probably helps in some regards. Yeah, there you'd be adding a lot of weight. But, the, yeah. you know, as you progress from a young puppy, we, you know, we have a, a puppy dummy going mm-hmm. all the way up to the mallard or more importantly in this situation, the pheasant one. Right. And as that puppy grows, it is if you can keep adding a little bit more size to fill that. And that's why Tom has gone the series of all those from a dove mm-hmm. all the way up to the goose, mm-hmm. depending on what those dogs' needs are. So a lot of people run into a, if the dog has a lot of things to chew on at home. I know mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, you know, no plush toys, mm-hmm. squeaky toys are mm-hmm. a big one, and, and plush or rope toys. Those can only advance those hard mouth issues. Um what we do like to say that was good about that, though, is we see that we have a lot of prey dry with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is very obvious that she is very driven for a bird. Mm-hmm. So that is exciting for me because that tells me that she wants that bird bad enough mm-hmm. that that's going to hopefully give me an opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to give you unlimited of these. Right. I just need you to change what you're doing a little bit to get more. And, and that's why we're going to be enrolling her in, in a month, more than a month, multi-month program here. Mm. Because this cannot just be starting next week, she has to change. Mm-hmm. We need to take this and break this down. And what we're going to do is take force fetching and break that down in a drill that has nothing to do with birds, has nothing to do with hunting or retrieving. It's going to be using items that are not played for fun, just object. We call it a fetching stick, uh, usually some three-quarter inch PVC mm-hmm. with some ends to keep it up off the ground. And we're going to use that tool to teach her how to pick something up, how to hold things in her mouth, or that hard mouth we were seeing, how to stop moving her mouth. So we're going to use these tools to fix those problems, but we're not going to address it on a dummy. We're not going to address it on a bird right away. Hmm. The last thing we want to do is bring pressure to her prize Oh, okay. to start off with. Right. We're going to work out her mistakes with something that is never thrown for right. fun. PVC. Yeah, a little but You pipe. don't want feathers because feathers you want to be... Candy. Absolutely. Right? That's the positive. Mm-hmm. And that's where some people would just talk about hold training. If if people start to get a dog and they're just forcing them to hold a bird mm-hmm. or a dummy, I, I recommend that's wrong because you're you're using your prize mm-hmm. as the teacher. Mm-hmm. So that's where we'll use an object that doesn't correlate to the fun, workout, teaching, showing. And what we see after about a month, and that's kind of what our timeline is going to be for your dog, is after a month we're hoping to see that she's realized that Picking up this fetching stick, holding this fetching stick, bringing it back is getting her praise, mm-hmm. excitement. And one of the old ways is, you know, called force fetch. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that really comes down to just putting obedience on how she picks it up, what she does with it while it's in her mouth. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you have recall already with mm-hmm. her. She comes on a dime. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even need a correction today. A little bit of tone, and she was right back to you. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to be fighting the coming when called, we're really going to have to work on 
hold as a main one, mm -hmm. and then the ability, if she did drop it on the ground, to get her to pick it back up. And, and we really want that delivery to hand. And that's something we're really sticklers on here. Of Really, we like to train all dogs, if possible, to be force fetch for the elimination of those cripple birds, mm -hmm. whether you're upland hunting or waterfall hunting. That bird was within a foot of you, and it didn't make it to your hand, mm. and there goes the chase again. Sure, sure. And that force fetching, I think, if if a dog can go through that process, it's it's one of the best things a dog can learn. Hmm. All right, the third one, uh, we didn't even see her stop moving the entire time. So, how are you going to teach her to stay in a canoe and not tip it over? For yeah, you? and you mentioned that that's. Place, place training and, yeah. and that's something she doesn't know yet so that's why today there was no point of seeing if she could do it right. we'll have to show her spot training mm -hmm. and what we've done over the years is use spot training to give dogs it, it's always been about how can we break down training to make it easier for the dog to learn what we're trying to teach it to do and using that spot training really helps a dog learn how to stay better and that's one area that we'll use it for in your case if a dog needs help on woeing we'll use that spot training to help the dog realize you need to stay where you were put and that really wasn't supposed to be a doggy bed in the house mm -hmm. but what we did is we used spot training to help the dog learn faster how to remain where it's put so mm -hmm. for your labs to sit and stay mm -hmm. in your case to stand and stay right it, it takes young dogs by giving them a location because if you look at the ground and they move from one spot to the next nothing looks different right so how does a dog supposed to understand that well, I moved a foot, and I, I'm in trouble. Well, it looks exactly the same. By yeah. giving that raised platform, it gives them, a, oh, I was supposed to be here. Right. So in your talk, we really want to get that spot training going. And then what we do with a lot of dogs, once they're really good, they know they recognize that spot. A boat, a duck blind, a canoe can be very intimidating mm -hmm. to get in. Uh, even an aluminum duck boat, you know, slippery sure. surface. Uh, there's an edge to jump in and out of. We see so many dogs by putting that platform that they've been trained on in that boat for the first time. Immediately, that dog recognizes that's a good spot. Yeah. There's praising on that spot. And that dog will almost immediately jump in the boat. And then it can kind of help that dog, especially in your case, like, here's where you need to be. I can't have you in your canoe, especially. Right. That dog can't be moving around in there. So our goal would be to use that spot train to initially get the dog to stay where it is. And then our long-term goal is that we can remove the spot, say place, and just put the dog in the canoe, and that training carries over. So for clarity, <clears throat> spot training, place training, that is different than wool training. But there's some transference. The fact that she maybe isn't fully wool broke, but she clearly understands wool. How to wool, yep. That's going to help with place training, right? Absolutely. And a lot of dogs, when they're young, your dog's a little bit further on in some of these things. But some dogs, when they come in, they don't know how to woe, and mm. they don't know how to remain or stay somewhere. Mm. So what we'll do is kind of break down woeing on a six-foot leash in a controlled environment and use spot training or place training to help them learn how to be a better staying dog. Mm. And then, like you're thinking, is putting the two together. Now let's take the place away take the woe command we've taught him, and the dog has learned that I have to remain where I'm put. And it's just a matter of taking that aid away or that helper. Right. And there's some dogs you take it away, they struggle, we go back, mm. add it back in. But the long-term goal is to not have to have a place spot to bring in your canoe 
but it can really help a young dog figure out this a little quicker. And our goal is always to put as least amount of stress on the dog as possible. So we've learned this spot really helps them pick up on being a better staying, woeing dog or staying in a location by giving them a reference to, to remember to go back to. So you and Tom have both been pretty consistent with me. Like, Bob, it's going to be a three-month process. Is that pretty universal or is that change based on dog, based on age, or is it no, you need a month to teach what you want them to do, a month to re-enforce um, it with birds, and then a month to like proof it? Is that, am I saying that correctly? You were close. So a month to teach them what we want them to do, a month to refine that, Ref- and, okay. and then the final month is just repeating the actions enough that we really want to set you up for when you pick your dog up. We've done this enough Hmm. that we're not worried about that dog regressing. Now, we're going to have some follow-up training that we're going to want you to do the minute you get home. We Hmm. always say the first 30 days, the Mm -hmm. dog's going to test a little bit. Um, But that's a typical timeline for our pointers. And we find that with pointers, you know, we'll say labs are a 10-week program, so they're right there. We had a little few more weeks with those pointers because – those labs a lot of times will naturally flush. That can happen at a young age. But a pointer that might be working on two things, mm-hmm. pointing and retrieving, mm-hmm. we have two different subjects that we really want to have nailed down for you. So we've found that that three-month is kind of that 12-week program. is just a good timeline to not put the dog in a bad position because we only got one month to get this done. Right. And it takes them time to not only – learn, absorb. Then you talked about that second month. Then we're starting to refine, hey, this this has to happen a little bit more quicker, a little more consistent. And then that final month is just repeating. And then what happens, and this will be a big part for you, is the last few weeks the dog's getting ready to leave us, we're going to have you come in for these lessons. And Mm. we're going to break down every part. So let's talk about a new customer. We're going to break down obedience, Mm -hmm. collar conditioning. We're going to break down the force fetch, the point, what's expected for range, when to be praising the dog, maybe when to correct the dog. We don't ever just send a dog home and go, here, it's yours. Mm. We want to make sure you see not only what your dog has learned in this time with us, but how to maintain that once you get home. Right. So those lessons for you are going to be <laughs> just as important. I'm getting trained as much as Gitchy is. Absolutely. Too. Well, I'll come back and bring the podcasting equipment and, and we'll sort of assess. We'll do another episode and assess where things are at. Yeah, I really appreciate this Absolutely. Of time. Well, you're welcome anytime. Uh, anybody, if they have any questions uh, on any dog training, uh, Dawkins, Oak Ridge Kennels, we're more than happy to answer any questions. And maybe you have a dog that you don't feel you need a whole lot of training, but you missed maybe have a few questions that you're like, I, I really want some advice on this. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of those people from all over the world that ask questions and they're not looking to maybe even have their dog. They just have a something that they hit a roadblock and they're wanting to know what the next step is. And I always say, reach out to a pro trainer if you have a little something because they might be able to help you get over that hump without you experimenting on the dog. Um, and somebody with a lot of experience might just have that little thing for you to move you on to the next level. Right. Um, and say the website again. Uh, uh, Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennels, um, okay. Northfield, Minnesota. And, you know, anybody in the office will get you to one of us trainers and get you some uh, feedback on your questions. So any final words of wisdom for me leaving my dog here for three months? Well, I want to leave you with this one. <laughs> no news is good news. <laughs> good. All right. That means she's progressing. We're moving forward. Mm. And any time we have a customer's dog that we have something that does concern us, we will have that owner come down. So not only try to explain it on the phone, we want you to see firsthand 
because a lot of owners will see their dog go, okay, yep, all right, I see why you need her a little longer because yeah. I'm on the same yeah. page. I want that for her as well. That's Because f- you bring that up, and I don't remember if it was you or Tom, but Billy tells the story on the air when one of you guys called, and Billy was just in a cold sweat. He's like, oh, God, what happened? Yeah. Like, no, 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 yeah. I'm just giving you a progress report. Everything's Absolutely. fine. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, no news is good news, and, you know, it's going to take some time. You know, mm-hmm. she, it's going to take some time here, especially the next few weeks. We're going to play around. And we're going to start getting a routine going so mm-hmm. we can build off that routine. Yeah. Well, you know, for listeners, I would say, obviously you can tell in Mike's voice and his demeanor, he, he's put me at ease. And I think it, it, find whether, you know, it's a local trainer or anybody, you got to find people you trust. And part of that is just asking a lot of questions, right? And being upfront with, hey, this is what's intimidating me. And talking through that right absolutely yeah and i think that's the best thing and and once you sit down and talk about it it i feel like you, i seen it in you today you just went okay mm-hmm. i'm making the right decision here mm-hmm. and i want my dog to be at a certain level mm-hmm. i know she's got the potential yeah. i just i just don't have all the resources to get her there yeah. and that's why we're happy to help get you that next level cool i'm excited all right can't wait for hunting season but we got a little work to do a little work <laughs> um All right, folks, I want to remind you, Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign is going on right now. Go to birddogsforhabitat.org. Thanks to our partners at Orvis, Purina Pro Plan, the official national dog food sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, Rufflin Kennels, the official kennel of our organization, North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, Project Upland, the Flush television show on Outdoor Channel, and of course, Sport Dog Brand e collars, the official dog collar of our organization and the sponsor of this particular episode. If you haven't ever used a, a GPS uh, e collar, get out there and check out the Sport Dog Tech 2.0. Um, videos of it online. I use it all the time. It's a tremendous tool and will give you great peace of mind. Um, my thanks to Mike Wieben at Dawkins Oak Ridge Kennel. Um, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring the podcast equipment um, and we will do a, a recap after uh, Gitchy's training is done. And uh, you can see, you can hear how it went. My fingers are crossed. Hopefully, you're crossing your fingers for me and Gitchy too. Uh, we got uh, plenty of years ahead, and uh, just want to get her to all the potential she has. And I think we all want to do that as dog owners. And sometimes a little professional training uh, definitely helps. So I'm Bob St. Pierre, thanking you for listening and reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks.